Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. So today we have Nicolette. Hi, Nicolette. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So where are you in residency and what specialty are you in? I am in San Antonio, Texas. I'm a PGY1 in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Very cool. So if you feel comfortable answering, we'd like to start our podcast with some rapid fire questions. So here we go. Were you AOA? No. Were you Gold Humanism? Yes, I was. Were you president of your specialty club? I was not. Were you involved in research during medical school? Yes, I was. So what parts of your ERAS application did interviewers most commonly bring up during the interviews? So I think the the most common thing that they brought up was my volunteer experiences. I worked with a program called Rise Adaptive Sports, and it was a... um, you know, a community, a disability community that really focused on just bringing life to uh, those with disabilities and, and giving them sports and activities that they could do. And so that, that was pretty much the most common thing we talked about. And a couple other things are um, the number of rotations I did in PMNR. I did five total rotations in PMNR during medical school. And, um, you know, that's, that's pretty unique. Uh, as well as my PMNR research and my letters of recommendation, because um, the people who wrote my letters of recommendation knew me very well. And so they were um, very personalized. So I think that those things kind of all together were probably the most things we talked about. Five PMNR rotations is quite a lot. Is there anything you would advise for someone that may not have as many experiences within PMNR because it's something their school doesn't offer or that there weren't opportunities for sub-eyes this year? Yes. Um, so actually this year, there's a lot of virtual opportunities in PMNR um, that my number one tip, which it sounds silly, but is to get on Twitter and search the hashtag MedTwitter. And that really goes for any specialty, but you can usually find people in the profession that are used offering virtual rotations or even just offering their mentorship. And so especially in COVID right now, um, not being able to travel or, you know, physically be present in a rotation, that's extremely helpful if you can create a mentee mentorship relationship online. That is so unique. It's so important to make yourself realize that there's other avenues to be able to get engaged in medicine, not just within the school that you go to, but also utilizing online resources for people that are really excited to connect with medical students interested in their specialty. Yes, I totally agree. So were there any times that you got a tough interview question? Yes, um, there's two in particular I can think about. So the first is, uh, I had a question that they said, if you walked into your new patient's room, so you're about to evaluate them, but then somebody pulls you away or you get pulled away for an emergency and you weren't able to do your physical exam, then what information could you have gotten just simply from seeing your patient for a brief moment, observing them for that brief moment? Um, I thought that was really interesting. It's a cool question, but it's also really hard to answer. I'm definitely out of left field. 
Um, and then the second was telling, telling them a time about what, when I overreacted about something and then how I debriefed afterwards. And so that's pretty like introspective, introspective. You have to be very self-reflective to answer that question. Those are both great questions, but also very challenging to answer, especially on the spot if you haven't thought about it, but you get to know a person well when you ask those sorts of things. Yes, exactly. Did anyone ask you like any unusual or unique questions on the trail? A couple of people asked me um, about some PMNR cases. And so, for example, telling me, you know, a patient with a T6 spinal cord injury comes in um, and they have high blood pressure and they're sweating, right? What do you want to do? What do you think the differential diagnosis is? Um, and that I think is unique in the sense that if you haven't had PMNR experience, it would be pretty difficult to understand what they're leaning towards or what they're trying to get you to say. Um, and I think it just kind of points towards that PMNR, they really do want people who know what, what PMNR is about and what, what it is. Um, and so I think going kind of swinging back full circle of why it's important to, if you can't have a PMNR experience, you know, in person, um, to find a mentor, find somebody, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram or through, you know, AOC PMNR, AAPMNR, to find that relationship so you can learn more about the field. Are there any ways that you would provide examples for how someone can logically work through a case, especially when they're stuck and don't know how to answer? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, there is one book called PMNR Pocketpedia. You can get it on Amazon. And that gives a really general overview of a lot of PMNR issues and problems that you see, um, which I think is important to maybe go over by yourself. But additionally, I think, you know, there's going to be times where you're, you just don't know the answer. And I think interviewers don't expect you to know the answer all of the time. They want to see how you think. And so my favorite way to approach a question that I have no idea about is to start my sentence off with, I don't know, but my thought process is, and then I can speak about what I already know and what my thought process might be, but they already know that I've admitted to not knowing it and I'm not trying to pretend that I know it. I love it. It's so important not to try to defend yourself if you're uncomfortable, but to acknowledge that you are uncomfortable and then also be comfortable with silence. Just take a moment to think about it rather than rambling on and not getting to the point that you want to make. I totally agree. So there's a lot of times where we get so uncomfortable when we're meeting with a program director who makes a lot of decisions in regards to what residents come to their future program. So what are some questions that you would advise an applicant to ask of a program director during an interview? I think this is really important. Um, My favorite question to ask program directors was, what do you do to prepare your residents for PM&R boards? So of course, every specialty has to take board exams at the end of residency. And I think it's important to know, you know, by asking this question, you'll get a feel for if the program director is even involved in that process. Do they care about the pro- that process of their residents learning? And then what are the procedures? What do they do? How do they prepare for them? I also think it's important to ask you know, do, are their residents prepared to go into practice directly out of residency if they decide not to do a fellowship? Because though many people do decide to go into a fellowship and specialize, I think it's important to know that if you decided not to, or if something happened in life and you wanted to go straight into practice, that you would be ready. 
Well, after uh, taking the step exams, to think that you're imagining PM&R boards in the future, oh, that's quite scary to think about, but it is important to ask. So a lot of the times we get opportunities, especially in pre-interview dinners, to ask residents questions about their programs. Though these are virtual this year, it's still a wonderful time to be able to learn about a program. What would you recommend that an applicant ask? I think it's important to ask what opportunities there are in the community for, say, volunteering in the PMNR community. Um, this could include sporting events, you know, working on the sidelines. This could also be uh, reusing and cleaning durable medical equipment. But I think it's important to have those opportunities during residency to be involved in the disability community outside of the hospital. I also really liked to ask residents how many procedures they got and on which rotations of theirs do they get to do procedures um, and also what the call schedule is like. I think that these questions kind of paint a good picture of what your PM&R residency will look like. So another thing that you, you know, talk about in residency is didactics. And I think some people wonder what it means to have a didactic time, what you do in that time, and whether or not it's truly protected. Can you tell us a little bit about what somebody could ask in regards to that and what didactics typically might look like, especially in a PMNR residency program? Of course, yeah. So didactic time is you know, very similar to learning in medical school. We kind of get taken back to the classroom um, you know, now, of course, everything is virtual and we do it on our computers, on our laptops, not in the same room. But the idea is the same, that we're given a lecture and we're, you know, supposed to pay attention and learn. And this is, you know, really supposed to be protected time in residency where you're not getting pages or you're not supposed to be seeing patients. And I think a lot of, you know, residency programs, at least from my personal experience talking to friends at other programs, that their didactic time is not truly protected, especially now that things are virtual. It's easier to be sitting in clinic and still, you know, quote unquote, watching your didactics, but have other responsibilities. And so I think it's important to ask, especially in this time of COVID where everything is virtual, what do your residents do during didactic time, right? Do they have their pagers on? Are they in clinic? Are they at home or are they allowed to go into a private room or the call rooms to watch their didactics? Great point. It is so variable. And I think that's something we forget. We know we notice that didactics exist and we see it on a website as being promoted, but actually asking about how that's implemented is super important. Another thing, you know, that's really important is when we think about letters of interest or when we rank a program, whether or not to email them that we're excited about going there or that we're ranking them number one. Can you give us some tips on whether or not you'd recommend sending a letter of interest or send an email during the ranking process? Yeah, so personally, I did not send letters of interest before interviews. Um, I really just kind of saw what interviews came in and you know, was happy with, with what I got. And so after I interviewed and I started creating my rank list, I felt like there were a few programs that I wanted to let know um, I really would love being there. So I think there's a couple points here that are important. And the first is that you never wanna tell a program that they're your number one if they're not. Um, and so I say that because 
sometimes it's innocent, right? We're not lying to say, oh, you're my number one program, but maybe we say that too early on. And then later in the ranking process or the interview process, we change our mind. And now we've already told a program that they're our number one, um, but we're not going to rank them number one. And so I think it's important to wait until you're absolutely positive. If you're gonna send a letter of interest telling a program, you're my number one program and I am ranking you number one, to make sure that they're the only program that you're sending that to and that you truly do rank them number one. But other than that, I think it's totally okay to send letters of interest or just thank you letters after your interviews and telling them why you would love to be at that program and not necessarily mentioning your rank list, but just telling them that you, you know, liked talking to them about uh, one of the questions they brought up or one of the things they asked you about. That's a great point. What played a role in your decision when then ranking programs? For me personally, location was very important. Um, my immediate family is in Texas, and so is my significant other. And so I wanted to stay here in Texas. Uh, but additionally, I personally don't know if I want to do a fellowship. And so I wanted a program that would provide me with the quality of training where I could go to fellowship and be competitive for that, or I could go straight into practice and be completely comfortable at the end of residency. So those are probably my top two. And then I'd say, you know, for PM&R specifically, one thing that was very important to me was going to a categorical program. Um, this is a term that, you know, not everybody in medical school knows yet if you're not applying to residency. But basically, um, in, in residencies such as radiology, dermatology, PM&R, ophthalmology, um, those specialties are required to complete an intern year prior to the advanced years of specializing. And so most programs are actually separate. You would go somewhere different for your intern year, and then you would go to a different program for your advanced years. A categorical program is all of that combined. And so I personally wanted a categorical program because what that means is that during your intern year, you're practicing at the same program under the same program director as you will be for your advanced years. And that was important to me because I think you get to know the system, you get to know the people, um, and you don't have to change or move um, and pick up your whole life after intern year. And you develop a relationship with that program director and that program director is going to be there with you through residency, but also as a mentor and someone that is going to be super helpful in someone's future career. Exactly. So, you know, another thing that I'm so impressed by with you is that you have such a great Instagram page called Nicolette.life and you spoke about social media and using it to connect with people, whether it be on Instagram or Twitter. And so something I was really interested in asking was in regards to whether you would recommend a medical student who has not yet created a social media page on Instagram or Twitter to have one and what the benefits are and why they should make one now. I definitely think there's value in creating one. And I think a lot of the times we're afraid of doing so because we're told so many times that social media is bad um, and bad for business, bad for, you know, not professional. But I think that's totally false. And I would definitely recommend anybody who doesn't have, you know, a social media presence. You don't have to have a million followers. You don't have to, you know, be a big shot or, or post every day. But I think having a social media presence with your real name, with a professional photo, 
and where you share things that you do, right? Maybe about your volunteer experiences or maybe that you're going hiking on the weekends. That's important, especially now when all of these interviews are virtual. And the reason I think that is because social media is ingrained in you know, all of our daily lives now, at least most of us. And many program directors are, are using it now to advertise their programs. And so when they see somebody's name you know, asking really thoughtful questions on their pages or um, talking with their residents on their pages, that makes a difference. That name recognition actually goes a long way. And you can also create relationships, you know, like we were talking about earlier, when you don't have opportunities during COVID to rotate in certain specialties, especially like PM&R, where it's not usually a core rotation at medical school. I think it's important to have those relationships, even if they are online. So I would definitely encourage people not to hide. Um, if, you, if you don't want to make a social media and you don't want it to be public, I would at least recommend keeping your real name, changing your photo to something professional, but then making the rest of your profile private so that people can still find you, see that you're a real person, that you exist, but then they won't be able to see the rest of your stuff and that's totally okay. But I think if they find you and you have a fake name, um, I think it looks a little, a little sketchy. So I'd keep your full name. So true. Those are great points. Is there anything else that you would like to offer about the application or the residency interview process? Yeah, I think, you know, it sounds so cliche, but go with your gut. Um, many people get caught up in the little details, like how much free food they'll get or what the insurance plan at their residency will look like. But the reality is that when it comes down to it, you're going to be training in your most valuable years at this location. You know, this time as a young doctor is the time that really, really matters. And so, you know, whether or not you get free food is kind of a, a drop in the bucket. And so make your rank list based on where you truly feel you'll get the best education and, you know, be the happiest. So whether that's location or educational experience, you know, make your rank list based on that, not the little details. So Nicolette, we love to end our podcast with everybody sharing a fun fact about themselves. So share a fun fact about you. So when I started medical school, I was absolutely positive I would end up being an OB-GYN. I um, did my OB-GYN rotation, and it, although it's a wonderful field, it was definitely not for me. And I actually had a moment in medical school where I thought, maybe I shouldn't have come to medical school. You know, um, got set up with a mentor who was a mentor in PM&R and sat down and just picked his brain, just trying to figure out what the field was about. And he looked at me and he said, do one rotation with me and you will switch to PM&R. And I said, <laughs> challenge accepted. So I did a rotation with him and found, you know, PM&R fell in love with the field. And that's how I, you know, got here today. Which also shows the importance of mentorship. Yes. So that's all the time we have today with Nicolette. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips and hear from another awesome resident.